We're going to start a new series of messages today on the book of Jonah. We're actually starting something today. We're not going to take the book of Jonah all the way through the summer, but we're going to start something today that goes all the way through the summer. Because this summer we're going to look at the minor prophets in the Old Testament, the the shorter books in the Old Testament, and ask what is God saying to us through them. But I thought we'd start that by looking at Jonah in particular for several weeks. So you tell me, what do you know about the book of Jonah? What's in the book of Jonah that you know about? There's a big fish, right? So you got a big fish in Jonah. There's a one guy that has a name. Do you know there's only one named person in the book of Jonah? And it is Jonah. That's good. Good. All right. We got that going. What else? Anything else in the book of Jonah you know about? I mean, it's a story that we know pretty well, right? And there's a lot of things that people think they know that the book of Jonah is about. And they talk about the big fish. They talk about the storm. They talk about revival. They talk about Jonah. But it really is a book that's about something bigger than that. I mean, it is a well-written story. In fact, the guy that wrote Moby Dick, Herman Melville, was so inspired by Jonah that he wrote a novel about a whale and a battle with a whale. And he said that it is one of the greatest literary achievements in history. That in four chapters, you have this short little story that tells a full epic story. In fact, there are those that say that if you want to know the story of especially the Old Testament, but, but the entire Bible in general, that you can look at the book of Jonah and it'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Chapter one is about rebellion. About someone choosing to walk away from the Lord. Chapter 2 is about repentance coming back to the Lord. Chapter 3 is about redemption, God saving those that do not deserve it. And chapter 4 is about being restored in the midst of that journey. And so over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the book of Jonah and ask the question, what does it have to say to us Today, So if you've got your Bibles, you haven't already turned there, turn to Jonah. We're going to be there. You can mark it because we'll be there for the next four weeks. And we're going to start today with, imagine this, Jonah chapter 1. All right, that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with the first verse in Jonah chapter 1 because it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now that's all the description that the book of Jonah will give us about this man. The only thing we know from the book of Jonah about him is the name of his dad. Now, we know from the Hebrew that Jonah's word, the name Jonah means dove, and his dad's name means truth. And so literally that says the word of the Lord came to the dove, the son of truth. But it doesn't give us a whole lot more. What's interesting about Jonah is he's one of the few prophets that we have that has a book written about them that also is mentioned in other part of the Bible. And so, for instance... We know from 2 Kings chapter 14 a little bit more about this man named Jonah. It tells us in 2 Kings chapter 14, In the 15th year of Judah's king Amaziah, son of Joash, Jeroboam, son of Joash, became king of Israel in Samaria. Again, wonderful place to get names for kids if you're looking for that. And he reigned for 41 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He did not turn away from all the sins Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. Next verse. He restored Israel's borders. So he expanded their borders from Lebu Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, had spoken through his servant, here's the name, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai from Gath-Hefer. The Lord saw the affliction of Israel and was, saw that it was bitter for both slaves and free. So here's the idea. And I know that that's... Not the most exciting piece of scripture you've ever read, right? But here's the idea. Israel was in a real bad spot 
And in the midst of that, God spoke through a prophet, Jonah, to tell them that God was going to take care of them. And not only is he going to take care of them, he's going to expand what they have. He's going to retake a land that had been taken from them. And then God does exactly what Jonah tells the people he's going to do. What that tells us about Jonah before we even dive into his story is that his background with the people of Israel would have been more than this story would have told. We know, for instance, that he had a special calling from the Lord, that he was a prophet set apart by God to do God's work, to speak God's words, to give insight into God's perspective on life, to have a deep consciousness of God's work in the world, that God was on the move, that God was doing something, that God was had a destiny for the world, and that Jonah was a part of explaining that to people. We know, for instance, from where he was and the timeline he was in, that he would have had unbelievable training. If you look at the history of Israel, the line of prophets goes Elijah, Elisha, Jonah. Now, we know Elijah's name. If you've been around church, Elijah called fire down on Mount Carmel. Elisha's the one that, that had the floating axe head. He's the one that, that uh, burned all of his cattle and his, and his plows in order to follow the Lord and did more miracles than Elijah. And immediately after Elisha, the next prophet mentioned in that history and story and chronology of the Old Testament is Jonah. And so he's following in that tradition. And as he's following in that tradition, there are a couple of things that are interesting about that. One is, now this isn't biblical, this is Jewish tradition, and so we don't stand on his absolute truth, but it's an interesting understanding. In Jewish tradition, Jonah is actually the son of the widow Zarephath, who was raised from the dead by Elijah. Regardless of that, if that's him or not, we know that Elijah and Elisha had school of the prophets that would follow them around and learn what it meant to be a prophet. And so we are almost assured that Jonah had his training from Elijah and Elisha. And not only did he have a great calling from the Lord, not only did he have a great training from the Lord, but he also had had success. He prophesied they would expand their territory against the biggest power in the world at that time, and they did. Jonah had a great start on his walk with the Lord. And yet, we know what happens, right? He rebels. Look what it says in Jonah 1 at the rest of that verse. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them from Tarshish from the Lord's presence. We're going to leave it there for a minute. What's amazing to me about this is that when the people of Israel, when the Hebrew people, when the Jewish people would have first read about Jonah in this book, when they got to this place where God's going to give him instructions, they are going to assume that Jonah's going to follow it because he's a prophet of the Lord and that's what prophets do. And yet, Jonah rebels. One of the things that Jonah teaches us is it doesn't matter our background. It doesn't matter how we were raised. It doesn't matter how often we've been obedient in the past. It doesn't matter about our fruitfulness, how effective we've been in leading people and telling people about Jesus in the past. That none of that matters or substitutes for present obedience to the Lord. 
It doesn't matter if you grew up in church. It doesn't matter if your mom and dad grew up in church. It doesn't matter if you went into ministry at one time. It doesn't matter if you've spoken at places. It doesn't matter if you've been a leader at places. It doesn't matter if you've not done all the things you're not supposed to do. That what matters in our lives is present, daily, consistent obedience. Jesus said, if anybody wants to come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow after me. Deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow me. Jonah shows us right at the beginning that there is no slacking off and redoing the Christian life. There's no coasting. There's no just making it through. There's no just putting it on cruise control and letting life happen. I was thinking about this yesterday. I don't, I don't know if you follow this or not, but um, there's a guy that as of yesterday has won the Music City Marathon seven years in a row, right? This is the guy. This is Scott Wateka. And I know Coach Wateka a little bit because he is currently the cross-country and track coach at Beach High School and T.W. Hunter. And Luke runs cross-country, or he did run cross-country last year. We actually uh, emailed Coach Wateka to ask him, hey, Luke is thinking about running cross-country when he's in seventh grade. How does he get training for that? We want to be ready for that. And he said, send him to practice tomorrow. And that was six months ago. And so um, Scott Wateka has won the Music City Marathon seven years in a row, including yesterday. And I was watching yesterday as an interview with him as he came across, and this, I think this is yesterday, by the way, as he came across the line, I don't know if it was yesterday or one of the other six years, but this was him coming across the line. The first thing you notice when he comes across the line, which, by the way, I just have to say, I have lots of admiration for anybody that did that yesterday. Like, people talk about the runner's high you get when you do things like marathons or whatever. I have never experienced that in my life, all right? Never in my life have I experienced that. Like, it's... Uh, if it's there, it's a myth to me, okay? But he, he ran, he comes across the finish line, he doesn't even bend down, he doesn't go to one knee, he doesn't do anything. He's been running for 26.2 miles, right? And he comes across and he walks over and he sees his family and he kind of, hey, come on, let's get a picture. And he's just like doing that. They get, call him over to interview and they ask him some interview. And the first thing he did is he complained about the course construction. It was too hilly. When you've won seven years in a row, you have the right to do that, I guess. And then he started talking about his race, and he said, I realized at about mile marker 19 or 20 that I had a large lead, so I decided to just coast and go easy for a little bit. Which is what I would do at <laughs> half a mile or so in, right? Like He just coasted. He just coasted. And he said, and somebody said, so so you just coasted? He goes, well, towards the end, I looked around and saw the younger, better-looking guy catching on me. And I thought, I better turn it on to be able to win this race because he's not going to beat me on TV. And I was like, awesome, that's all right. But but I was thinking about it because he just like, imagine the ability to do that, to run 19 miles, look up at the scoreboard and go, ah, I can just kind of relax for a little bit. It's kind of coast, right? In the Christian life, there's no coasting. There's no throttling down. Jonah shows us that at any moment, any decision can lead us down a path that goes away from the Lord. You see a couple of things in that passage that Jonah does. First of all, we see that he he ignores the word of the Lord. 
It says it's just the same construction that prophets have throughout the Bible. It's mentioned many times in the Bible where it says, and the Lord of the Lord came to. This is a prophet's call. This is a word that the Lord intends to speak. And it comes to Jonah. And instead of Jonah heeding it, and instead of Jonah doing it, Jonah ignores the word of the Lord. And in our lives, when we are not listening to, when we are not a part of, when we are not reading, when we're not investing our life in, when we are not understanding what the word of the Lord is telling us, and for us, we have the privilege of having the word of the Lord in the form of the Bible as it speaks to our hearts, as it speaks to our lives. When we ignore that, then we are dangerously close to walking away from the Lord. The second thing that we see there is he fled the presence of God. Now, you can't actually get away from God. It says in Psalm 139 that if I go to the highest high, you are there. If I go to the lowest low, you are there. If I go into the dark, you are there. You cannot escape the presence of the Lord. But he's trying to get away from God's personal presence in his life from God's hand on his life. He thinks if I can get far enough away. We don't know exactly where Tarshish is. Here's all you need to know. It was the opposite direction of where he was supposed to go. And he gets in the boat and he goes. And the question that I ask is that knowing that, what does it teach us about ourselves? And what it teaches us about ourselves is that our hearts are bent towards rebellion. That we are bent towards rebellion, that that's where we go. Most of you know that I have four children, all good kids. Eli's 16, Luke is 12, Maddie is nine, and Ava is six. And that's always dangerous when you try to do that just from the top of your head because you get somebody wrong and then you're in trouble, right? They're all good kids. And as they've grown up, we've had lots of things that we had to teach them. We have lots of things that we've had to teach our kids. We're in the process right now of teaching driving. We're in the process of teaching algebra. We're in the process of teaching math. We're in the process of teaching a compound sentence structure. School system is teaching it. We're helping. Maddie's in the process of being in three plays in the next four weeks. And we're in the process of learning lines and helping with that. Ava's in the process of learning how to read comprehension. And so we're teaching things all the time. Do you know the one thing that we have never had to teach any of our four kids? How to rebel. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord from the parents in the room? I did not ask for clapping for my own son. That is... We've never had to teach that, right? Like, hey, kids, I just want to sit you down for a minute. We're going to ask you to do some tips. Let me give you some tips on how not to do what we've asked you to do. It's inherent in who we are. Nobody had to teach you how to rebel either. If you don't believe in the fact that we have a nature that leads us towards sin, just have a few kids around for a little bit. And I mean like two-year-olds, three-year-olds. They supposedly don't know better yet. They know better. And here's what we see in the life of Jonah. That even a guy that's been brought up the right way, in the right system, in the right churches, with the right mentors, can lead to serious rebellion when our hearts aren't in line with God. And what's familiar with Jonah is familiar with us, the things that lead us away from God. Rebels are usually worried about their reputation. 
Jonah is thinking here, man, who would I be if I am the prophet that told Israel that we're going to expand our territory? I'm the Israel prophet. I'm the one that is loved here because I've said it's our people. It's our land. Let's take our land. Those enemies of God are going to be smitten. They're going to be done away with. We are going to get rid of them. We're going to expand our territory. And now I'm the prophet that has gone to another place and talked about God's love and judgment to them. There's a very real chance that if Jonah had done immediately what was told him to do at the front, that he would have come back to Israel as a traitor or that guy. In our own lives, oftentimes when we move away from what God is calling us to do, we're worried about our reputation, about how people will think about us. What will they say if I do that? Second thing that Jonah was worried about is he was worried about his safety, his security. I don't know if you know this or not, because I don't know they teach this in world history stuff anymore. If they did, you would remember it anyways. But Nineveh was considered the most barbaric and violent city on earth. They have recorded, they have found uh, writings from the people of Nineveh. And this is what they would do to their enemies. They would slaughter their enemies. Then they would take their bodies. They would flay their bodies open. Drive them on a stake. And carry them in front of them into war. Sometimes. Other times what they would do is if they went into a city and they destroyed a city, they would skin the people that they had killed in the city. And they would hang their skins over the walls of the city to let people know that they had accomplished what they were doing. If you walked into Nineveh and you were not a Ninevite, you were not an Assyrian, they did not take kindly to you talking to them about what they ought to do. And Jonah hears, I need you to go to the city that skins people and flays them open for all to see and tell them God's about to judge them. And Jonah's like, hold on. The last thing Jonah's worried about, and often we are, is about their own plans. <laughs> Jonah was like, this is not what I intended to do, God. God, I had a good, I had a good plan. I had it set out. I had a good family. had all the things we were doing. We were on track here. People loved me here because I told them we were going to expand our land, and we did. My plans did not involve going to Nineveh. God, listen, those people are bad. We find out later that the reason Jonah didn't want to go is he's afraid God would let them off the hook, would save them. It's like, God, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve your love. They don't deserve your compassion. They don't deserve you. I know who deserves it. Doesn't it sound arrogant for us to say that? God, I know who deserves your love. They are not one of them. And Jonah walks away. Here's the rest of the story. But the Lord, now listen, Jonah's not going to think this in the next few moments. It's going to seem crazy to him that the Lord's doing all this. But those are words of grace and love and mercy. But the Lord threw a great wind on the sea and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea, the light and the load. Meanwhile, so think about the scene on the ship. They are throwing stuff off the ship. The, the storm is so much they kind of think, we got to get stuff off of here. We're going to tip over. Meanwhile, in the midst of all of that going on, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. He's out. 
They're throwing stuff off the decks because it's so violent outside and he's snoring. In fact, literally one translation in the Greek in the old translation makes it assumed that he is snoring loudly in the bottom of the ship while all this is going on. The captain gets to him and says, what are you doing? Get up. Call to your God. Maybe the God will consider us and we won't perish. By the way, if you're a New Testament scholar or you've been to church before, you may sound familiar what's going on here. Because in the New Testament, there's a story when the ship is being tossed around, they're about to drown. And this time it's not Jonah that's asleep, it's Jesus. And what do they say to him? Get up before we all die. Right? It's a little different what happens here because Jesus gets up and says, hey, quit. Literally, that's what he says to the storm, quit, and the storm quits. Jonah, not that way. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. So the captain tells him to call out to your God. Jonah doesn't. He's still resistant. Then we'll know who's to blame. So they cast lots, and surprise, surprise, it falls to Jonah. And they say, tell us who's to blame for this trouble. Who are you? Why are you here? What's your country? What people are you from? It sounds strange. Like, why are they interviewing him at this moment? They just want to know, who are you, dude? And why is this happening to us? And he answers them. And by the way, it's interesting what he says about who he is, because a prophet of the Lord would have almost always replied, I am a prophet of God, but he doesn't. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heavens who made the sea and the dry land. He doesn't give anything about his position. He has sunk so low. Then the men were seized by a great fear. What's this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he told them that. So they said to him, what should we do so that the sea will calm down? For the sea was getting worse and worse. And then he tells them, throw me overboard, basically. It's our next verse. There it is. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea that will calm it down. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. But the men didn't want to do it. So they rode hard to get back to land. But they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea and the sea stopped. The men were seized by a great fear of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, here's what I want us to understand real quickly about Jonah and then we're going to be done. First of all, what I want us to see here is. That following his own plan and running from the Lord cost him greatly. Literally, it talks about him buying the ticket, the costs that were associated with that. It talks about him not being able to have the presence of the Lord in this. It cost him his identity as a prophet of God. It cost him his purpose and his joy. And when you do something where you walk away from the Lord, no matter what your background has been, no matter how faithful you have been, no matter how fruitful you have been, no matter how good of a Christian you've been, when you walk away from the Lord, you are sacrificing the presence and the joy and the purpose of the Lord. But this is the great thing about even this first chapter of Jonah. Is that it reminds us that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've tried to get away from the Lord... God chases down rebels. There's that part right there in Jonah where it says, but the Lord, verse four. So the whole rebellion happens in the first three verses. The next two chapters are about God pursuing and catching and corralling and restoring Jonah back to ministry. So the rebellion of Jonah was three verses 
Over the next two chapters, God is going to chase down the rebel. And here's what you need to understand. He doesn't chase down the rebel to punish. He doesn't chase down the rebel to make him mad. He doesn't chase down the rebel in order to make an example of him. He chases down the rebel because he has a love for Jonah. And more importantly than that, he wants to use Jonah to bring revival to another group of people. Because of his great love for us. And so my question to you today is simply this. Have you decided to walk away from the Lord? Have you decided to rebel against Him? Have you decided to go your own way? Have you decided that you no longer want to do that? Have you decided you want to coast? Have you decided you're just going to let it kind of happen? You're not going to be intentional about your relationship with the Lord? Have you forgotten the word of the Lord? Have you walked away from His presence? Are you in that place where you are not doing what God has called you to do? And if that's the case, how is God trying to chase you down? Now, next week, we're going to talk about the repentance of Jonah, but you don't have to wait till next week to repent or to come back to the Lord. You can do it now. And so in just a moment, we're going to have a time of response and the band's going to play and we're just going to ask you to respond to the Lord however you see the Lord calling you to respond. For some of you in this room, that may be for the first time accepting the love and the grace and the mercy of God and being able to say for the first time, God, I want to follow you. I want to know what it means to be saved. You see, the thing is, Jonah had a track record with the Lord. He had been obedient and decided to walk away. But Scripture tells us that all of us have done that. And without accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is no hope. So maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. You've never been baptized, never followed Him in those kind of ways, and you want to do that for the first time. I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. Maybe you're here, and like Jonah, you're saved, you've been followers of Jesus Christ, but that a lot of that was in the past. A lot of that was then. And recently you've kind of just been trying to coast. You just kind of make it. And you realize that you've sacrificed the joy and the presence of the Lord in your life. And this morning it's time to come back. I'm going to pray, and when I finish praying, we're going to stand and we're going to sing, and I'm going to ask you to respond. Let's pray together.